Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. On this week's episode, I will be talking with Sarah Turney again for part two of my discussion about her sister's case, Alyssa. And if you guys had an opportunity to look up her case during this past week, you would have seen some pretty wild stuff. And the conversation only gets crazier from there. So, again, so much thanks to Sarah for taking the time out of her crazy life to join me. And I am very appreciative of her candor. So, join me as I have part two lined up right now of my conversation with Sarah Turney about who killed Alyssa Turney. You know, my oldest brother was 18 when I was born. Um, so starting at like in 1996 or 1997, just about, they were all grown and out of the house. So for most of my childhood and what I remember, it was me, my dad, and Alyssa. Um, but, you know, it, it's come out that my brothers were aware of the sexual abuse. So it, it wasn't a secret. She told as many people as she could. Um, she didn't tell me, unfortunately, but she told her brother, she told her friend, she told her teacher. Um, she was crying out for help. Do you blame your brothers at all for not stepping in and doing something about it? That's what's hard is I, I don't. And I probably should. And I should probably blame that teacher and uh, all these people that, you know, people get mad at. But what do you do in that situation? You know, as her friends, as her family, as someone dating her father, you know, the teacher was dating her father or, or our father, which I didn't mention. I know the story is ever complicated um but we can we can make this a four-parter if we want to <laughs> oh we could we could like i said we could oh we can make this so many hours um but no i i don't blame them um do i wish that they would take that guilt and turn it into participating in the media yes but i i don't blame them for for not telling it it must have been an incredibly difficult situation to not know what to do between your father and your sister and i think that they grew up in such a way that these family secrets were something they were used to keeping and something they were conditioned to keep. It was very much a family of, we don't talk about what's going on in the family, that's private family business. Um, and that carries on with them to today. And a huge part of what I wanna do here is really hopefully encourage people to come out about family secrets like this in a very safe way in which they won't get hurt, but um, to know that it's okay, you know, to see me. And even if your whole family turns your, their back on you, it's okay. Like, just do the right thing, come out about it, and hopefully stop the abuse for somebody else. Yeah, I definitely think that being out there like you are does give people a little bit of uh, comfort knowing that, yeah, it can be done. I mean, it, it's all about family secrets have gone on and I, I'm sure this has gone on for all of eternity since families have existed. But since the modern family, let's just say since the 1900s, okay, the amount of family secrets that people have kept, whether it be your father, not your father, but whether it be someone in your family was in the KKK or someone was, uh, uh, you know, a Nazi or something like that. Like the, there are certain things that like there there are family secrets then there's like okay if my dad's 
molesting my daughter, that's not necessarily a family secret that we should keep to ourselves. I mean, I think there was a time in 19, well, it's never been okay, but you know what I mean as far as people just kind of looking the other way. Yeah, it was definitely more accepted. I feel like if you were to speak about your family in such a way you're revealing secrets 100 years ago, people would look at you as some terrible person who's not loyal to their family. Yeah, I definitely th- definitely think that they would they would perceive that as, you know, somebody being against uh against their family, but again, you've got to do what you've got to do to protect yourself and protect your family and obviously nobody else was doing it, so yeah. Well, and, you know, if it was reversed and I had gone missing, like my dad would be praying it was me that he was dealing with. Like it's you wouldn't want to deal with Alyssa. She would be a thousand times more vivacious than me about this, if you can even believe it. You know, she's where I got all my strength. Um and I, you know, I tell my dad to his face, I say, You're so lucky it's Alyssa and not, you know, it's me and not Alyssa, because Alyssa would have slit your throat. And he goes, I know. You mentioned before about the police only having a address or a postcard, something like that. Yeah. So I think it was by 2004, um, they, um, they matched a Jane Doe they thought could have been Alyssa. It turned out to not be her, but they tried to contact my father about it, and there was no known phone number on file for him. So um, they had to send a postcard in order for him to call. Jeez. So, I mean, yeah, we, we thought that he was out there looking for her and campaigning. And, you know, he talked about her all the time and had flyers and made all these trips to California and said that he spent $37,000 looking for her. And I come across this record of they don't even have a phone number on file for him. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very indicative of what was actually happening at the time, which, you know, was he was getting away with it and not speaking to police. When was the last time you talked with him? It was last year after CrimeCon, actually. Um I was approached by a producer of ABC 2020 and they wanted me to come back on and talk about how I had changed my stance because in, in 2009, I was on there saying my dad was innocent and obviously I don't feel that way anymore. So I called my dad and asked if he would go on there with me. And of course he said no, but that's actually, that call is the first episode of my podcast. Uh, so yeah, I spoke to him just last year, but we don't, we don't speak. Um, he didn't even know who I was when I called and have my number saved. That's got to be a little discomforting. Does your do your brother still talk to him? Um, so I believe at this time he's down to just one brother who is speaking to him. They started kind of dropping off like flies, it seems. Um, but yeah, I mean, they um, a few years ago they were all in contact and had a good relationship. I think it's it's slowly deteriorating, and I don't know if that's because they're actually listening to the information that's coming out, or if he's doing things that are making them not want to see him. I, I don't know. Do you feel like you will be able to have a relationship with your brothers going forward? Do you think that they, I mean, do you think if this is resolved the way that you would like to see it resolved, do you think it would be, it would open a door for you guys to have a relationship again? Or how do you see that happening? Yeah, I think it could. You know, I don't have a terrible relationship with some of them. And I hope that, you know, if movement happens in this case and we get some closure yeah, I hope we can come back together and be a family again and that they can be in my lives. Because, you know, like, they were pretty much my only father figures growing up. My dad was very absent, so I I miss them in a very different way. It's not just buddy, buddy, brother stuff. Like, you know, they were the people I called when stuff broke in my house or my car would break down or, 
you know, if my dog was sick. Um, so it's really hard not having them there. And, and yeah, I hope that someday we can get back to that point, but I don't know. I don't know if there's too much bad blood at this point. Um, there's a lot of stuff that has happened. So I don't, I don't know. I can only imagine the amount of uh, healing that has to go through that you have to go through to get to a point where you guys can bury the hatchets or whatever. In your opinion, do you, do you have any idea where, like, again, this is a tough question, but do you have any idea where or what happened to your sister? Not the logistics. I have some ideas of where her remains might be, to be totally honest. Um, but no, I mean, other than that, there's no crime scene. There's no body. So we don't know. Have they done any searches in the areas that you think that she may be? No. So that's another huge point of contention with the police. Um, when they sat me down and told me they weren't going to prosecute because they didn't have a body and that they wanted a witness, I said, okay, so are we going to look for that body? And they said, no. And I said, can I raise funds to help you look for that body? And they said, no. Um, and they told me that they were going to give me a billboard on every freeway in Phoenix with Alyssa's picture on it in order to get this witness they needed. And that never happened. Um, and last year in 2019, I came to them and said, I have um, this offer. I have this media company who wants to give us cadaver dogs and, and film it. Um, these cadaver, cadaver dogs are highly accredited. They worked on the Natalie Holloway case. It's they're, they're very accredited dogs. Um, and to my face, they said, that's great. We just need property owner permission. You know, we could probably make this work. And then I get an email saying, absolutely not. We're not going to do it. It's so I, like, I don't know what else to do. You know, people say, oh, you can search independently. And, and yes, I can. Um, but with the way they act, like my fear of doing anything independently is that they will find some way to discredit whatever I find. Like even a, a body, I think that they could fight that this this case is so public now that if we were to find remains like who's to say that the real killer didn't you know put it there and and point it at my dad I, I don't know it just if I don't do it with them it makes me very skeptical that they'll work with me in any way if I actually find something on my own I would say that in this regard and the, again I'm not uh not a professional but sometimes it's better just to do and ask for forgiveness later <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a plan B, right? So if I don't get a traditional trial like I'm seeking, then yes, I will do searches of the body by myself. I will pursue civil suits against my father for wrongful death. I'll pursue a civil suit against the police for everything they've done. But that's not plan A. Like, Alyssa deserves a real trial like any other murder victim. And that's definitely what I'm going for. Um, but, it, you know, it, as much as I hate for it to be this way, like, we're coming up on three and four years since they told me to get media coverage and I've gotten it and they refuse to do media with me. They've told me that I'm getting too much media. And then a week later told me that they commend me for all the media I'm getting. So it's like, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't, and I'm running out of time. I don't want my father to die. You know, he's 71, 72 next month. I don't want him to die before this happens. So yeah, I mean, plan B and C and D is, is all those things, independent searches and civil suits and, and all that. But I, I want the right path for Alyssa. I want her to have that traditional prosecution. I was going to ask you how old he was. Are, are you aware of any health issues or is there something pressing that needs to get done? I mean, obviously we want to get this solved sooner rather than later, but I mean, as far as his health goes, is he somebody that is going to be around for a while that we can prosecute? 
Yeah, I mean, the running joke is that he's never going to die, um, which, I mean, sounds cruel, but I really don't care at this point. But uh, when I met with him in 2017, I had spoken to one of my brothers, and they said, oh, yeah, dad just got a health test or whatever, and he's as healthy as a 45-year-old. And he was, you know, 69 or 8 or whatever at the time. So, yeah, I mean, it's my understanding that he's extremely healthy. He's always been extremely athletic um, and and fit, you know, other than, like, an old man belly. Um, but yeah, so it's my understanding that he's extremely healthy, um, but it's just the age factor, you know, he's, he's getting up there and if he passes before there's a resolution, it's going to devastate me like nothing has before. Yeah, because it makes you feel like he got away with it. Absolutely. You know, and, and he said to me in our, you know, when we spoke in person, he said, come to my deathbed and I'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear. But that won't happen. Like I could come to his deathbed and he would just be cruel and tell me like he didn't do it or something. I, that won't happen. Like all of those promises of telling me um, what happened to Alyssa, well, I just don't believe them. Yeah. That's like one final burn on you. You know, like, I'll come to my deathbed. I'll tell you what you want to hear and then not tell you what you want to hear. And yeah. Kind of add an insult to injury. Well, yeah, because for him, it's not just about, the prison sentence or whatever the punishment it's about his ego and his story and him not being a martyr anymore him not being the uh, hero of this story you know he he can only have it two ways either he's a victim or he's a hero there's no way in which he'll depict himself as the monster in this case i can see that being the case too Okay, so he's been holding on to this for 19 years yeah do you think he is like you had mentioned before that he had assaulted and um, there's been a history of sexual assault prior to uh, Alyssa. Had, do you think there's been anything since? Yes. So there is an incident. Well, there's, I'm trying to think how many. I th- there's at least two incidents after Alyssa left in which women reported him very aggressively hitting on them at least. Um, for example, he hired one of my brother's friends to drive him somewhere in the state And um, he lied when they got to the hotel and he said, oh, you know, they only have one room. I guess we're going to have to room together. And she was like, that's weird. And she goes down to the front desk and they're like, no, we have a ton of rooms. Like, no problem. Here's your room, ma'am. And um, my father gets really upset and he's like, why'd you do that? You know, are you worried I'm going to do something? Like, like, it's very aggressive with her to the point where she has to basically like ask him to leave the room and say that she's scared. And like, so yeah, I mean, based off these stories I have from after Alyssa's gone, I, I think it's very likely. That's a tough thing to have to know about and to think that you can make a difference and get this predator off the street. I think that's where, again... You talk to a lot of people, a lot of victims, a lot of victims' families. Closure is not something that you would ever get, but um, this would have to be some sense of satisfaction if he was actually held accountable, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, and I would feel like, you know, Alyssa has that piece, which is, you know, the, the biggest thing. Like, I know in my heart what happened, and seeing him go to prison isn't going to make me feel any better about it, but it will give Alyssa peace and it will be the right thing to do. And it will get someone very dangerous off the street. I mean, you know, he's known to frequent prostitutes. Um, This is something I learned from my brother and I learned from the police reports that he was a known, I don't know how to to patron of prostitutes, I I guess. Um, But what scares me about that is that when they raided the home, they found a snuff film, which, you know, a commercial Oh. commercially made film in which a woman was 
raped and murdered. And what he did was edit that tape so that it would show that murder part back to back to back. So I think that he has the potential to be extremely dangerous. I mean, in addition to the largest pipe bomb bust in Phoenix history, of course. um, Yeah, it, it scares me. If somebody else gets hurt because of him, it's going to be obviously extremely upsetting and I try to remind the police every chance I get that he's dangerous and still on the streets and that it's, it's serious. How much time did he get for the pipe bombs? 10 years. Um, though I believe he served just a little bit less than that. So it was, it ended up being a federal case because of the fact that it was explosives, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, he got the maximum sentence. Um, but yeah, he, he actually represented himself in that case. He like, hired his public defender and represented himself thinking that he could get off with an insanity plea and they actually they slapped him with the maximum so yeah that insanity plea thing really doesn't work no and he does not qualify for it in any fashion no i mean that's what i mean like even (laughs) even when they like nowadays you know not to go off on a tangent but like nowadays even if you are found incompetent they will make you competent by putting you in a hospital and getting you medicated to the point where you can come and face justice it's it's really that's a lot different than it was 30 years ago even what would you like to see happen going forward um and what kind of uh, uh what kind of action do you think needs to be taken from the police and i mean whose whose jurisdiction does this fall under sure so it's kind of dual fold, right? It's Maricopa County. Um, So essentially, I need the police to present this case and for the state to accept it. Um, I found out last year, or no, I'm sorry, 2018, that the the county attorney, which is essentially the district attorney here, it's kind of an interchangeable term in Arizona, um, the people who prosecute these types of crimes, they asked the police for this case years ago, and the police never responded. So I just need those two forces to get together look over the case material and accept this case for prosecution. Like I'm not asking for the death penalty. I'm not asking for life in prison. I'm just asking for a fair trial. Like just bring him on the charges that you were planning on bringing him in 2009, all the way up till 2017. Um, I just want to see this thing go to court. So Alyssa can get, you know, her, her day and hopefully some justice for her. And I wish there was some type of, you know, silver bullet to make this work, whether it be, you know, a donation to a GoFundMe for a billboard or it be a signature on a petition, but it just doesn't work that way. And what I found is that this slow, steady build of media pressure is what's getting to them. Like the second I stopped being super nice to them and started kind of throwing that around and and how many millions of media impressions this thing has gotten they started listening more so in my experience that's what works is amplifying my voice by a million yeah and you're doing that and nobody likes bad press and especially the police so um if there's anything that you can do as far as that goes i mean you've put the pressure on you're really holding their feet to the fire i think at this point and with each show you go on with your own show being at crime con doing live uh, shows doing um are you okay you said you're doing also doing a presentation so crime con will be a live show of voices for justice which you know will probably be very panel like um but yeah i'm hoping to partner with a very large youtube creator that i've worked with in the past for um, a panel at crime con we're still working on that 
yeah, I, I hope that everybody can help me snowball that and just keep using the hashtag justice for Alyssa and keep sharing her story because that's really been the most effective. I'm not exaggerating when I talk about how bad the police are. No, you are. Uh, where do you stand right now? Like your dad's free, right? Oh, yeah. No, he's a free man. No probation. No nothing. Uh, so does that give you any bit of apprehension doing what you're doing? No, not apprehension. I mean, it, it, it makes me a little nervous, um, but it would never stop me from being truthful or putting it all out there. No. Okay, cool. Yeah, because that was just one of those things. It's like you read so much about people and you, they're just names and then you realize, oh my God, they're, this person's out of jail and this other person who's obviously convinced it's one thing over the other, then I mean, I just know that that just presents a kind of a awkward situation. Oh, yeah. No, a few years back, um, one of the forensic psychiatrists for his bomb case was killed. Um, he was like on 2020. He's um, his name is Dr. Stephen Pitt. And um, they released a sketch of the gentleman and it looked so much like my dad. I was crying. I was freaking out. I thought for sure that he had hurt somebody again. Um, they literally said it was like a, a white male um, in his like late 50s or something like that. And then it ended up being like a black man in his 40s um thank goodness yeah, so much for witness uh, eyewitness <laughs> testimony as we've learned <laughs> yeah but no i mean you know that happened and i knew who the guy was and i freaked out um so that's my biggest fear is i'm just afraid he's gonna hurt somebody else you know i, I tell the police that all the time i say when he hurts somebody else that's on you guys thank you to this week's sponsor best fiends as a true crime podcaster i'm prone to looking into some pretty heavy stuff and after a while, my brain needs to be refreshed. So to clear my mind and relax, my new go-to tool is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game you can actually play right on your phone. It's really fun. Your brain will be locked in as you move through all the levels and face challenging puzzles. But it really is a fun, casual game that anyone can play. I recently cruised past level 875, and I just started playing a few months ago. Best Fiends won't take up much of your time, but what it does do is it makes the moments like waiting for your next meeting a little bit more fun. I spend a lot of time at home these days, and this is my go-to app for entertainment. The best part, you don't even need an internet connection to play. The game is so beautiful, I find it to help soothe my mind. The cute characters just make it better. Best Fiends updates monthly with new levels and events, so it always will keep you on your toes. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Not to, like, pry. Is he in the area? Um, so I don't know exactly where he is, but yeah, he's um, in downtown Phoenix, as far as I know, which is like um, 10 minutes from my house. Oh, good God. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> you have, that's the reason why you're the focal point, because you have stones that are, um, like you're taking this head on and you don't give a shit. And I think that's what people, at least the people at CrimeCon, have recognized over the past couple of years is it's not so much let's do a cool like exposition about 
you know, crime, but let's actually try to do some positive things like Billy Jensen does with his show. You know, he does, you know, he looks to solve crimes. I mean, those are the things that are important. It's not so much telling stories and everybody's, there's a place, time and a place for stories. Everybody loves them. That's why they're so popular. But I do love the advocacy aspect of what's going on right now. And I think that what you're doing and, you know, obviously what Kelsey's doing with Liberty and her, you know, her friend and, oh my gosh, I mean, all that stuff. It's really, it's all so amazing how you can do these kind of things with the technology, technology that we have and the, I guess the computing power that we have that we can do those kind of things from basically your own home. It's insane. Oh yeah. No, if I had to do this all in person, it would not, it would not be like this. Um, yeah, it's really convenient that I can just hop on my phone and post stuff and share stuff and, you know, talk to Kelsey and help her too. And yeah, it's amazing. And she's doing an amazing job. Like I can't imagine taking all this on at her age. Um, she's incredible and I love her so much. Yeah, we saw her presentation last year. I know that the guys from True Crime Garage and uh and I took in her uh her presentation at CrimeCon and yeah, she was really, I was I was shocked at how composed she was. She's really incredible. And uh it's definitely, you know, another tragedy that needs to be solved, but um but yeah, that's great that you at least have people that you can turn to. Like and via just like something like Twitter or something like that, that may not have even existed 20 years ago or something like that. It's pretty cool. Oh yeah. No, it's changed everything. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like what we're doing. I mean, look at your podcast. I mean, your podcast's like blowing up. You're all over everything. And it's like, you would have never been able to do that 10, even 10 years ago, you wouldn't have been able to do that. And I worked in media. I mean, it's, this is like, we are in a golden age of being able to tell your own story. And I think that what you have done has been awesome. And um, I just give you kudos for taking it on because, wow, that's like one of those there's a lot that goes into this. It's not just as easy as saying, Oh, I think my dad did it. It's like you had said in one of your articles, it was like, or even our, in our conversation about how the people that you've lost in the process as people that, you know, believe your dad or believe you. And it's like, God, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's not easy, but it, I mean, I'm lucky because it really comes down to like right or wrong for me. Like I'm so, like a light switch that way. Like it's right or it's wrong. And what's happening here is wrong, obviously. And that's why I can't stop fighting. And Alyssa would have done it for me. Like, it's just such a no brainer. I never sit back and think like, should I do this? You know, should I put more time into it? It's like just something I'm driven to do every day because like nobody should have to go through this. Like I want to prevent other operations from thinking that this can happen. Like it's not okay. And people like me won't stay silent and there's people out there that will help people like me not stay silent. So yeah, I kind of want it to be like a cautionary tale to other, you know, law enforcement. Yeah. Especially when you read about the amount of, and we talked about it in the first part, but the amount of surveillance that your father had put into place, like that's just disturbing to begin with. And yeah, (laughs) I mean, what the, 
you know, what the hell? And just the fact that that can actually go on, it does go on. I mean, it's like a horror movie. I mean, it's, it is, it sounds like something just straight out of a TV show, like something just no way this is, but it does, it can happen and it's easily done and people do it. And I think it's important that you make sure that everybody remembers that, like it happened to you. It happened to your sister. I mean, like, that's the thing, like in the, did you ever see any of the surveillance videos that were so yeah it was about a month basically did you see any of the videos and were you in any of the videos like or was it strictly like did he edit them and say like he just kind of had like an Alyssa reel and or was it how did that work sure um so they were recorded on vhs like there was no transferring this to any type of digital media and as far as i can tell no editing other than like recording over something else to delete it, if you will. Um, but it, it was basically just a bunch of tapes and there was no rhyme or reason to it. And the only videos that I saw were the ones featuring Alyssa. So it was about a month before Alyssa was gone that my dad showed me the video of the, um, the camera in the vent. And that was Alyssa making out with a boy. And I don't remember like what he said. I just remember that he showed me. And then there was another one um, that was an external camera. It faced our carport because, you know, we had one of those houses where you'd come in through the door, through the carport, as opposed to like the official front door. So we had a camera there and um, it was just like Alyssa walking away from her boyfriend, John's car and throwing her phone against the wall. And then it pans to an inside camera from the vent. Um, and she's like putting her hands in or her face in her hands and she's crying. Okay. So that is, disturbing to begin with um what okay so we're from the midwest <clears throat> like at least a bunch of us true crime people are from the midwest sure uh, and there are a lot of true crime fans out, out west and everywhere in the world but a carport or a garage to us in the midwest is obviously enclosed a carport in your town is not right yeah, so it's more like a porch. It's basically just a roof with a cement slab underneath it that you can park your car underneath, as opposed to it having a door and walls. Yeah, and I assume most people know that, and I've been criticized for bringing up stupid shit like that before, but like, hey, sometimes people don't know. I mean, it doesn't, the weather doesn't get crazy bad out there, right? I mean, it, it's just one of those things. It's just, you're pretty much have pretty consistent weather. Like, you're not worrying about winter storms and, uh, all that good stuff that we do. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I'm sheltered in Arizona. Like, like people use so many different words for so many different things. I'm always asking what things are, especially weather related. Like, I don't know any of that. Like it's <laughs> sunny 90% of the time here. Like if it rains, I like debate whether or not I'm going to drive. Um, so yeah, somebody was like, Oh, I remember it was one of the detectives. They were from the Midwest and they go, you found her note on the bureau. Right. And I was like, what's a bureau. <laughs> And he's like, it's a dresser. And I was like, oh, the dresser. Um, so, yeah, that stuff happens all the time. It's just different regional. Yeah. And uh, I remember living out in Utah when I was uh, in college and like we'd get four inches of snow and it'd be like, eh, it's not enough to go skiing yet. We need like a foot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It'd be like the end of the world here. It rains for like two hours straight and it's like all your Facebook feed is like rain, rain, rain. It's quite the event here. Ah, uh, well, you know. 
I do know what weather is. And living in Cleveland, it's like the joke is always like, wait five minutes and the weather's going to change. And, you know, it's a perfect example. Like Christmas, it was like 60 degrees. And like the next day, it was like 30. So, I mean, we range in temperature drastically and it is what it is. But, you know. Oh, yeah. I was in Indiana for Christmas and it did not snow and it was quite the disappointment. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Being from Arizona, I was like, it's going to be a white Christmas. I'm so excited. I've seen this in movies. I know how this happens. It's so like picturesque and no, no snow. And I was like, oh, not, it was like not, 60 degrees. Yeah. It was yeah. insane. Yeah. It was like a warm front. It was crazy. Um, hey, but uh, you know, all that good stuff and yeah. <laughs> uh, not, not to get off on a tangent, but sure. you know, uh, in regards to the way that you are approaching, I mean, this whole thing with the podcast and obviously you've been a guest on a million different shows and obviously I'm lucky to have you on my show as well, but like what got under your skin that just decided that I don't give a shit, I'm doing this? The police, when they told me to get media exposure, you know, I think that, and I was told this by the detective that had worked the case for about 10 years. So somebody that I trusted very much. Um, But yeah, they said that and I just went go. Um, And it wasn't until I got a pretty, pretty, uh, I I mean, I hate to call him terrible, but he's pretty terrible um, sergeant on the case that said, you're getting too much media exposure. And I was like, you know what? It's, I I can't win either way. I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. And so, like, it's just motivated me to never stop because I truly believe that their intention is to make me shut up and go away. So I have to just keep that in the back of my mind and remember that all media is good media in this case. They've released everything to the public. Like, I'm not releasing anything that they don't want the public to know. So I feel confident in that and I just have to keep keep going forward like it's my only saving grace like the traditional roots just have not worked and this seems to be working so I have to keep going yeah and I, th- I think with the way that you're going about it I think is definitely a, a new way of going about it but I do think it's a future like there is a future there I think there is a lot of one crowd solving but also pressure that gets put on the media or the media can put on the you know, the authorities, the police investigating the cases that wasn't there before. And I believe that's why a lot of the time they're just so like, oh, no, you can't do any more of this, uh, you know, these interviews. It's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's causing too many trouble. It's, cause, it's too much, uh, you know, they start receiving phone calls and people asking about it. And, it, and again, I'm not anti-police at all. I just think that it's, uh, that it does like, sometimes for certain people they feel like they're overwhelmed now and in your situation i think it's different but it's uh it's definitely thrown a a wrench into their plans i think oh yeah i don't think that their true intention was for me to actually get media i don't think that they ever expected it to get this big to be honest you know and and the thing is that they didn't just tell me that um you know, I'm close with a girl that has a case with the same detective and they told her the same thing. Like, listen, we know who killed your sister. We can't do much about it. We suggest that you get media exposure. So it's like this line they tell people to go away. 
Um, but then I also, like I said, I kind of hope that there's a kernel of truth in that from that detective and that he was really trying to do me a kindness. But I, I don't know. It's funny you say that because I do actually recall talking to the chief of police of uh, Bay Village here in Cleveland on the first podcast that I did, which was the Who Killed Amy Mahalovic podcast. And when I was talking to him, it was and the FBI agent, both of their responses were, yeah, it's up to the public. It's, you know, it, you know, the more media attention, the better, uh, that type of thing. And and it's not like they were like flippant about it or they went about it a different way than, you know, I mean, they're, trust me, they're fully vested. Just, I see what you're saying. It can be a, it can be kind of a brush off if you, if you see it, if you see that, I mean, Hey, go to the media. <laughs> like it's kind of like taking it off their plate. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, that in addition to saying that they were going to hold this silent witness campaign for me, which they um said would be a mix of radio spots, which a few did happen. I heard it like one time. You know, they'll play like um just a like a silent witness, like this this person's missing, here's their stats, and they'll play this on AM radio at like 4 a.m. ad slots that aren't sold or whatever, which is great. Like, I appreciate it. But then they also said that I would have a billboard on every freeway in Phoenix, and they didn't give me one. So, like, don't promise us things that you can't deliver. Like, just don't say it at all, and we won't get so upset about it and fight for it and follow up for it. Yeah, you can't give false promises and false hope to somebody that's trying to find answers like what you're trying to find. And I think that's just absolutely... Uh, does nothing but disservice to the investigation because it kind of, you know, it, it angers you. I mean, it makes you not trust them as much as you should or could, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Because well, if they followed through, you'd be like, oh, okay, they're doing what they're saying they're going to do. And, um, you know, I'll do what I'm doing and everything is cool. Well, yeah, and I think that there's a there's a line between false hope and outright lying. Like false hope is like we really think we're going to solve this, you know, and maybe they don't. But I think it turns into an outright lie when you say you're going to have a billboard in every freeway in Phoenix and then you don't do a single one. And on top of that, when I follow up, the commander says, "Who told you you'd have a silent witness campaign?" Like it's <laughs> it's just enraging because it's more than just false hope it's like you're lying to my face to get me to go away no. and now i don't trust anything you're saying they did not they they did that yeah oh yeah that audio's all gonna come out on the podcast like it's oh. this like the first half is like me very much building the story and the background and the family and a lot of it is you know people coming forward with their own stories but this second half you're gonna hear so much from the police and it's unbelievable what they say to me. Like I have emails mirrored back to back with like completely different statements from them with, you know, like it, oh, I cannot wait because I have so many receipts and I'm ready. That's awesome. So here's a question about your podcast. Now, do you have like a producer or anything or do you do, <laughs> do, you do all of this yourself? I do all of this myself. Like you've done all the interviews, all the editing, all the everything, A to Z. Everything. Created my own logo, um, d created the website. I, yeah, I mean, I can't think of one thing. I, no, I haven't outsourced a single thing. I love it. That's the way I am. I've, yeah. uh, I mean, I've 
got people that I trust that I look for for guidance, but definitely uh, I'm a self-taught podcast or whatever you want to call it, whatever we are. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, there's got to be some better term someday, but uh, you know, it, it is, it's amazing like how you can take like what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation about being able to do it yourself. I mean, it's kind of like Justin in the first episode of my passion case talked about how like, you know, building Silk Road was kind of like a DIY thing. And that's kind of what the podcasts kind of are. And you get the opportunity to build a case against your dad through a podcast. And think about it. I mean, like, that's just unheard of. Like you have, and then I want to ask a question with that. What the hell did you think about when he was on? So like 2020, you were on 2020, right? Yeah. Now, did you see your dad? In no. Episode? Okay. No, no, they don't let me. No, they don't let you do that. Okay. And I assume so. I, I didn't see the episode. I just, I just read about it. So like, <clears throat> my question is, what was your thought when he was like, uh, you know, denying obviously any involvement? I mean, were you at that point already investigating or was this, how did this all like timeline wise go? Yeah. Um, so 2020 reached out, um, not, it was like maybe six months after, um, my father went to prison and they said, we want to showcase your sister, right? Cause this is how they, they do it at this time. I believe that my dad's innocent. I'm actively helping him. I am essentially his legal secretary right. and like, you know, submitting documents for him at the court and writing up, uh, whatever they're called, writing up and so how many old legal are documents, Nineteen twenty. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I have full power of attorney at this point. He gave me full legal power of attorney over everything. So I have the mortgage. I have all his assets, which I mean, isn't much, right? It's like a truck and then we owned a house or whatever, not even outright. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I am, I immediately become an adult and um, also act as his legal secretary and believe him fully. So 2020 comes to me and they say, we want to feature your sister. Um, Cause you know, they're not going to say, we want to talk about how your dad most likely murdered her. Um, they, they tell you what you want to hear. So I was like, this is amazing. I can't wait. I asked my dad, my dad said, absolutely. Um, and yeah, so that came out and I was fully on his side. So when I heard it, um, I was honestly, the first thing I thought was I was mad at my brother. I have a brother on there who goes out and talks about my dad and says, he's not sure what happened. And he's not sure he can believe my dad that he's innocent. And so I was pissed. I was really, really mad. And um, it kind of caused a break for us for a while. So that was my honest reaction is I couldn't believe my brother said my dad wasn't innocent, which is insane now, but that's just the truth. Thank you to Sarah Turney for joining me on this week's episode. She is an amazingly strong person and really has dedicated so much of her life to finding out what happened to her sister. It's very, very commendable. And thank you guys for tuning in. As a reminder, I do drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For the second year in a row, we'll be representing Who Killed and Who Killed Amy Maholovic, as well as my passion case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando. It is definitely a 
bucket list item for a true crime fanatic. Now the new dates are October 30th through November 1st. That is a Halloween weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. If you want to save money on your ticket, you can use my promo code AMY2020. If you enjoy this podcast and my other shows, you can help support independent journalism. And you can do that by clicking on the donate button on the left-hand side of Slow Burn Media. That is slow minus the W. You can also contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman3 or via PayPal. I will also provide a link in the show notes. And again, every contribution does help keep these slow burn podcasts going. You can also support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your show today. Those five stars do help keep the important cases in the public's spotlight. And anyone with information regarding Alyssa is asked to contact the Phoenix Police Department at 1-602-262-6141 or the National Center for Missing or Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. Sarah would also like people to use the hashtag Justice for Alyssa when discussing her sister's story on Twitter. That helps keep the case pretty much just out there. If you have any information regarding any of the other unsolved cases I have covered, please contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases I have covered, as well as the new shows I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Part 3 of Alyssa's case will drop next Friday. So again, thank you so much again for listening. Until next time, be healthy and stay safe. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport... Then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. 
Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.